Live from the Republic of Texas and broadcasting around the world, this is the Max McGuire Show. This is our last chance to take this country back. That's true. Listen, it doesn't matter that Joe Biden is losing his mind. He still betrayed this country. Come on, man. So get ready, because the Max McGuire Show starts right now. Welcome back to another edition of the Max McGuire Show. My name is Max McGuire. Thursday, short week for me. I just got back from vacation. Um, so, so short week for me today, um, but going to be having a lot more in store in the coming days and into next week. So make sure if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, we're on Rumble. Still trying to figure out whether I want to go multi-platform. I feel like since I'm trying to build this show up, it's better to go live one place than try and go live lots of different places. Um, but still thinking about it, let me know in the comment section if you want me to start streaming to other places like DLive. Try YouTube. I was going to post yesterday's on YouTube, but I talked about election fraud, so I can't put that on YouTube. Um, so probably we'll start posting them on YouTube after the fact, not going live. But let me know if there's anywhere else you want me to stream or if you're okay with just being on Rumble now. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the audio edition. That's available on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, Audible. All those links are in the description. So check those out. And if you can, if you have an iPhone, an iPad, a MacBook, leave us a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts so we can climb back up in the ranking. We were in uh, right around the top 100 political podcasts, which is crazy because we just started. Um, then I went on a little hiatus to go on some trips, some work trips, some vacations. We've now dropped out of the ranking. So need your help. Leave us some five-star reviews help us climb up in those rankings. Also going to mention a couple times today, but just at the beginning, if you have not already, make sure you check out my new book. It's available on Amazon, The Conservative Guide to Winning Every Gun Control Argument, available on Amazon. Now also available in ebook form, a Kindle form as well. So lots to get into today because yesterday the news broke that the Biden administration is creating what they are calling I want to make sure I, I get it right. It's being labeled as the Ministry of Truth. That's obviously a 1984 reference, which is what you can see that little poster on screen. War is peace, freedom of slavery, ignorance is strength, Ministry of Truth, 1984. They're calling it Disinformation Governance Board. And it's going to live within the Department of Homeland Security. And according to DHS, it's going to basically combat misinformation, disinformation, which is... A very broad term. It doesn't mean what you thought it meant. It, uh, they've kind of expanded it to mean anything they disagree with. As an example, a couple days ago, last week, maybe even more, there was that video of Joe Biden shaking hands with thin air that was making the rounds on social media. It happened. He went to shake someone's hand, and there was no one there, so he just kind of stood there and paused for a little bit. Well, the fact checker declared that that never happened that he never shaked hands with thin air, that he was actually open palm gesturing to people off camera. They claimed it's misinformation to say that he was shaking hands with thin air. Misinformation, disinformation, malinformation is another term that, that they're starting to use nowadays. That's basically just bad. It might be true, but it's bad for the government. It's bad for the establishment, so we're going to censor that too. This new program within the Department of Homeland Security would combat these types of misinformation. I assume 
based on what we've already seen, this will probably have to do with election infrastructure, election security. You can understand why the government would have an interest in tamping down rumors that there might be something afoot with elections. Um, but this is, this is completely tyrannical. It's completely tyrannical. You do not have the right to freedom of speech if the government has set up an entire arm of the DHS designed to counter that speech. That's not what the government is supposed to be in the business of doing, fact-checking people. And it is not a coincidence that this got announced right after Elon Musk bought Twitter. Twitter doesn't do the fact-checking themselves, but they have, for the last however many, four or five years, Twitter has served as one of the leading fact-checking authorities, not because they're fact-checking, but because they've partnered with the individual fact-checkers to then censor tweets. So anytime you would go to the trending hashtags, there would always be a fact check there. And those have power. Those are powerful. Just look at what Twitter did to the New York Post, completely shutting down the New York Post's page. They had power. So it's no surprise that after Elon Musk buys Twitter, which hasn't completely gone through yet, it's still technically not his yet. Um, it's no surprise that after Elon Musk takes steps to buy Twitter, all of a sudden the government's coming in and promising to serve as that fact-checking arm. YouTube is, is, going, is still at it, though. We, we saw, oh, what was that book? Oh, man, I, I just completely, completely, there was a, there's a children's book. I, I'm kind of pissed that I didn't, um, I didn't write this book first. Johnny is a walrus. Is that what it is? Yes, Johnny is a walrus. Johnny the walrus. And it is a children's book poking fun and, and showing how ridiculous it is to allow children to pick their own gender identity when they're just little kids. Um, YouTube is suspending them. Amazon is going after them. So the, the censorship's still out there. Big tech censorship is still out there. It's going to be great to watch these other companies respond to Elon Musk's Twitter. If Twitter becomes a truly a free speech platform and is able to ditch that censorship that we've seen over the last four, five, six years, it'll be and become profitable, right? That's the other side of it. If they ditch the censorship and become profitable, it'll be interesting to see if other companies follow suit or if they're so committed to censorship that they continue with their ways. I, I think you'll probably see a little bit of both. If Twitter is able to, under Musk, is able to kind of right the ship, become profitable, become popular again, I think you might see some of the smaller ones, not the behemoths. You'll never see Google get out of the censorship game, but you might see some smaller organizations, some smaller tech platforms decide that, hey, you know what? Maybe we should follow suit. That's all, all of course, a big if, no guarantees there whatsoever. In case that happens, though, as I mentioned, the government is planning to be there with their own version of the Ministry of Truth. The, the full title being the Disinformation Governance Board. They'll be there to fact check, don't you worry. Here's a clip from yesterday of this news being broke in Congress. Let's play cut one. Um, uh, we are seeing a And my time uh, is rise. quite limited. We are seeing a rise in misinformation and disinformation uh, that is um, uh, attempting to strike at the integrity of the election system and people's uh, right to vote. And we're seeing on social media posts calling election officials corrupt and calling for violence against candidates and election officials. Isn't that correct? Uh, that is, Congressman, which is exactly why I addressed the secretaries of state throughout this country 
a few weeks ago uh, to speak with them about the efforts that we are making uh, to provide them with physical security, the resources and information they need to ensure uh, the safety of the electoral system over which they preside. And Mr. Secretary, uh, mimicking false claims of ex-President Trump, we continue to see social media posts claiming, quote, if our election systems continue to be rigged and continue to be stolen, then it's going to lead to one place and it's bloodshed, correct? Uh, Congressman, we're very well of the spread of false narratives that um, have as one of their goals um, an effort to radicalize individuals to violence. And, and as I understand online uh, radicalization and how it works, Mr. Secretary, is it fair to say that believers of such disinformation uh, could become lone wolves and take it upon themselves to act on these calls for violence against election workers? That is a potential that we are guarding against materializing, Congressman. That is why uh, we have so many different efforts underway to equip local communities uh, to identify individuals who very well could be descending into violence uh, by reason of ideologies of hate, false narratives, or, or other um, disinformation and misinformation Incredible. propagated on social media and other platforms. So right there you have the Secretary of Homeland Security promising that he's going to be using DHS to go after what they're calling misinformation. You can see Congressman Johnson, who is infamously involved in that commentary from years ago, where he, he was concerned that if you put any more military equipment on the island of Guam, the island itself would capsize. Same person. You can see him teeing it up and explaining why DHS needs this disinformation governance committee, why they need this governance board. Sorry. It's because the radicalization, right? Oh, if you claim the election had fraud in it, you are radicalizing people and you're creating terrorists. You are creating terrorists. And if you yourself are get so radicalized, you create a lone wolf terrorist. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. The, the idea that the government has to combat what they consider to be mis, dis, or mal information because of a terrorism risk. I'm sorry, there's no asterisk inside of the First Amendment saying that you have the right to freedom of speech unless some bureaucrat within the Department of Homeland Security determines that you are dangerous, right? There's no asterisk there. But we've seen this over the years, them trying to come after different constitutional rights in this same manner. Just look at what's happening to the January 6th prisoners. Can anyone seriously say that they've had a right to a speedy trial? Of course not. There are many that are still trying to get discovery. They're still trying to get all of the documents, all of the evidence against them. And the government is pumping the brakes and saying there's too many hours of video footage to hand over. So these people have languished in prison and jail because they don't have any representation. They don't have any money. So right there, their right to a speedy trial, their right to a speedy trial before a jury of their peers has been denied to them because it's been determined that they were dangerous. We talk about red flag laws. How the government can disarm you, can take away your Second Amendment rights for six months at a time without even having to accuse you of breaking the law simply by convincing a judge that you're at least 51% likely to be dangerous. 
preponderance of the evidence standard as, as opposed to guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. That is the same deal. Oh, well, you're dangerous. Well, what's dangerous? Well, we can't really tell you what dangerous is. Dangerous is just dangerous. You know it when you see it. Oh, okay. So they're dangerous. Yes. So we'll take away their rights. They've done that with the Second Amendment. And again, if you haven't already, pick up my book, Conservative's Guide to Winning Every Gun Control Argument, available on Amazon uh, in paperback and in Kindle form. Go into it in depth. We now see them doing the same for the First Amendment. I mean, they've been doing it for the First Amendment for a while. There's been a little bit of people playing fast and loose with the facts. I've seen a couple of different GOP congressmen come out and say that the Biden administration called parents terrorists. That isn't exactly true. What happened was you had the National, uh, the National Teachers School Board Association, that was NSBA, the National School Board Association. They accused people, parents at these school board meetings of being terrorists and the Biden administration said, okay, we'll send you anti-terrorism resources, which I guess in a roundabout way is accusing them of terrorism. But we see it in that way, right? Parents being concerned about what's being taught to their children, what's being included in lesson plans, speaking out at uh, town hall meetings, at PTA meetings, at school board meetings, and then being branded by some as terrorists for doing so. I mean, that, that one terrible, terrible case from Loudoun County of the poor girl who was raped in a bathroom by a transgender student, a man, a boy identifying as a girl, and the school covered it up, transferred him to a different school district where he raped another girl. The, the father, in this case, the father of the first victim, lost his school at, at the school board meeting, and rightfully so. The school board was trying to cover up a crime committed against his child that was completely avoidable. All in the name of, of wokeness, right? Trying to, trying to present um, a woke, uh, an inclusive, an inclu inclusivity. Sorry, <laughs> I always have to think about what's the, what's the buzzword that the left is using these days. They covered up his child's rape in the name of inclusivity, making trans students feel more included, more protected, knowing that you should be protecting girls in the restroom so they don't get raped by boys. He lost his cool. Got, got a little bit violent at the school board meeting, and they use that as an example for why the government needs to crack down on all parents. So they've already been doing it to your First Amendment rights, your First Amendment right to uh, assemble, right? Your, your First Amendment right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. What do you think that father was doing? He was petitioning his local government to not cover up his own child's sexual assault, rape was branded as a terrorist, actually was convicted, as crazy as it sounds. Well, now they're going after basic speech, basic free speech. And this has been coming for a while. On my old podcast, talked about how the DHS was specifically targeting misinformation about the election and about COVID-19. Now, the DHS was, going, was branding that as one of the leading threats to the nation. Just think about everything going on in the country. Ask yourself, when you leave the house, what are you most afraid of happening to you? Well, I'm, I'm most afraid of being violated at the gas pump with all these high gas prices. But other than that, other than that, you're worried that you're going to become the victim of violent crime, especially if you live in one of these major cities that have seen, for lack of a better word, a renaissance in the under, in underground, uh, underground crime, in, the, in their crime uh, levels. Renaissance is probably not a good word, but a revival, an expansion, crime levels in New York City that 
predate Rudy Giuliani. Last time you saw levels of crime that high. Back when you could go to Times Square and there would be peep shows in Times Square. Very different city. That's what you worry about. You worry about becoming a victim of violent crime. You don't worry about misinformation ruining your day or assaulting you or violating you. And yet this is what the Democrats prioritize. It's been so amazing to see Democrats, and I wish I grabbed the clips, I didn't, um, freaking out over Elon Musk buying Twitter, now, now finally admitting that these tech platforms have the ability to influence elections, acting like this hasn't been what they've been doing all along. Acting like these, uh, Twitter hasn't been influencing elections all along. They're, they're freaking out, oh, Musk can now ban, he can ban whoever he wants. He can ban whoever he wants. Well, yeah, well, Twitter could ban whoever they want, and they were banning whoever they want. I'm going to see if I can pull this up. It's Donald Trump Jr. I think it was Donald Trump Jr. Um, ever since Elon Musk bought Twitter, conservatives on Twitter have seen their follower numbers shoot up through the roof. I might not be able to find it. Basically, I think it's Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson had been, his account had been pretty stagnant maybe plus five, minus 20, plus five, minus 20. Now he's getting tens of thousands of new followers a day. And it all comes back to when, when Elon Musk bought Twitter, they turned off all of the algorithms. They, they stopped manipulating the results. So all of a sudden, you saw conservative accounts jumping up because they were no longer shadow banned. When they posted, people could see it, people could share it, more people could find it. On the other side, the liberals are freaking out because they're seeing their follower count drop and they're accusing Elon Musk of doing that to them. Well, no, what's happening to them are all the liberals are canceling their accounts. When you cancel your Twitter account, whoever you're following loses that follower. So it, it, it's been interesting to watch this. But no, Twitter has always been able to influence elections. They've always been able to change the outcome, put their finger on the scale. Just because it was run by a board doesn't make it any better than being run by one person or, or one person and a couple other smaller investors, depending on how Elon Musk has structured his, his purchase. It's always been a tool that can be wielded for evil, and that's been the biggest risk we see from social media. And the fact-checking is a pure example of that. The way they design their fact-check system to avoid scrutiny, to avoid being accused of being the fact-checkers themselves, Facebook... I don't use, I don't really use Facebook anymore because every time, everything I post gets fact-checked. Like what's the, what's the, what's the point? But Facebook says, oh, we're not the ones fact-checking. It's our trusted fact-check partners. I mean, it, it got tiring having to argue with undergraduates who focused on fashion news, fact-checking me on international relations. It just, it got tiring. It got very tiresome. So I stopped using Facebook, stopped using Twitter. Now... I'll probably go back on Twitter. Hopefully one of these days they'll release the Android app for Truth Social. I can finally get on there. <laughs> that's, been, uh, that's been a mess. But hopefully they get that worked out because I think the more social media accounts, platforms out there, the better. <clears throat> but we, so we know what this Ministry of Truth is going to do. And the Ministry of Truth, this <laughs> Disinformation Governance Board, is just going to do what the Democrats have always wanted to do. Control narratives. Control what information is allowed to reach people. And one of the sickest examples of this comes from our schools. Joe Biden just yesterday said something that I can't believe it was in his teleprompter. They put it in his teleprompter. Joe Biden from a podium declared that when kids are at schools, 
The kids don't belong to someone else, he says. They belong to the teachers. I had to I had to watch and I had to verify to make sure this wasn't this wasn't like a deep fake video because it seemed like it was something so crazy. No one in their right mind would let Joe Biden say, given the way the country is going, given the polling, given what happened in Loudoun County, given what happened in Virginia, where the Democrats can see that these school board fights are going to be a big driver in the midterm elections. I cannot I couldn't believe that someone in his speech writing department would put this in. But sure enough, they did. Here's Joe Biden declaring. That the children, when they go to school, belong to the teachers. You've heard me say it many times about our children, but it's true. They're all our children. And the, the reason you're the teachers of the year is because you recognize that. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they're in the classroom. No. No. They're not like yours when they're in the classroom. They are and always will be their parents' children. That's not an ownership thing. You can't own kids. But the parents are responsible for making decisions for children. If a child is sick, you call the parent because the parent is responsible for making a decision on how best to treat that sickness. Sometimes parents will sign permission slips at the beginning of the year, letting the school know that, hey, if my kid has a headache, give them an aspirin. I give you permission. That way they don't have to go back and forth. Or, hey, my kid has an allergy. It's allergic to bees, allergic to peanuts. Here is an EpiPen. If there is an incident in the school, don't waste time trying to contact me. Just give them the EpiPen. I give you permission. That's the way it's supposed to go. But what we've seen with schools is even just on the medical side, circumventing parental authority to help children get abortions, to help children underage, minors, secure abortion procedures, without their parents' knowledge, going behind their parents' back to help the kids essentially get surgery or, medic or a, uh, or a uh, pill, abortion pill, if, if it's earlier on, actually get medical care without their parents' permission, even knowledge. What we see with the transgenderism, schools, guidance counselors, meeting one-on-one -on -one with students to guide them towards a transition which they claim is a medical procedure, right? Helping kids get hormone treatments. You know what happens if you give a prepubescent child the wrong hormone? If it's a boy, instead of, instead of him having testosterone, you give them estrogen, they don't go through puberty. It, it can ruin their life. And they're making these decisions in, in many cases without the parents even being present, which is why that Florida bill, which the left called the don't say gay bill, even though it was never about that, that's why that law was so important. It stops schools from doing this and ensures that parents have ultimately the rule, the decision-making authority in their children's, their child's life. And it makes complete sense. But no, schools say that they know best. And according to Biden, when the kids are in schools, they don't belong to the parents anymore. They belong to the teachers. I want to play this clip. This is a teacher from Michigan. This clip has been making the rounds on social media the last days. It's been posted by Libs of TikTok, which I love. I follow Libs of TikTok before they blew up. <laughs> um, this is a Michigan teacher going down the list, showing all of the different propaganda materials that they have on the wall in their classroom. Understand that when Joe Biden says that in school, the kids belong to the teachers, these are what some of the teachers look like. Not all of them. But these are what some of the teachers look like. And ask yourself whether you would ever want someone like this 
have control, decision-making authority for your children. Let's play cut three. So talk about not being able to read the room. He, be, he was teacher of the year. That's, that's, what's, that's what's crazy about all of this. Teacher of the year. And there's nothing wrong with, cel I know that schools celebrate Black History Month. It's once a year. I get it. Apparently, May is, um, what is May? I was just looking at it. I just got a notification in my, in my calendar app on my phone, which never used to be, never used to get those notifications. I think it's Asian American History Month or, or Asian Pacific Heritage Month. I don't, I don't know. So, I mean, they, they do that, right? They, they go, they celebrate um, Black History Month. They celebrate Black History Month in schools. That happens anyway, right? That always happens. And there's nothing wrong with having different historical black figures up on the wall. But the 13 principles of Black Lives Matter... I mean, that, that's indoctrination. It's not just the, the, the flag. It's not just the gay flag, Black Lives Matter flag. This is pure indoctrination. I mean, where is the teacher? How does the teacher have the authority to recommend medical procedures, get vaccinated? I mean, last time I checked, teachers were not trained for that. They did not have licenses to recommend medical procedures for children. That's something that should be left up between the child and the adult. Or if the child is old enough to make these decisions for themselves or emancipated, then they can make the decision for themselves. It's never supposed to be the teacher's job. They went to school to teach, not to indoctrinate. You guys lose all of my sound? Not sure if you lost all of my sound. Sound's still going through. Oh, they didn't hear that guy. That guy was just going through all of his classroom. I guess that sound didn't work for that one. He was going through his classroom, showing all the different propaganda. Um, that might have been an issue where it was a one-side ear, because um, I could hear it. It's Teacher of the Year. Teacher of the Year, talking about, bragging about all the different indoctrination efforts he was having going on in his classroom. Let me know if the audio is working now, um, and I'll keep going. Um, so th that, that's part of, hold on, they're saying the, the whole video now has no sound? How does that make sense? That doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't even know what, how to fix this. It's showing sound coming out. Let me see. Let me see here. No, I'm, I'm showing sound, so try refreshing your video. Try refreshing your screen, and that should work, because it's showing sound on my end. I just turned it up a little bit. So while people are doing that, this is another crazy thing I saw. This is another crazy thing that I saw. This is what came home to parents in second grade, teaching them about furries. If people don't know furries. If you're a furry, that's, that's, you basically dress up as a mascot, as some kind of furry creature in a mascot costume, and that is your 
sexual deviancy, preference, whatever you want to call it. That is, how, that is what arouses furries. They like to hang out dressed up as furry creatures called furries. In second grade, they're treat, in school, they're treating furries as if that's some form of culture. And they sent home these worksheets, and I'll put it up on the screen here, Culture Month. What is your fursona? This is how twisted this is, your fursona, your persona as furry. Doing a furry word search. This is insanity. This is insanity because, I mean, what do you even do with this? What do you even do with this? This is a second grade teaching people about furries, about their, what their fursona is, whether they are male, female, or a non-binary furry, whether they like fur, scales, or feathers. This is not normal. And so when you hear Joe Biden proclaim, when you hear Joe Biden proclaim that the, parent, the kids should belong to the teachers, this is what he's talking about. And it gets, it gets worse. It's not just the weird sexual deviancy in schools. It's also racialized lunches. This was one from Pickens Middle School. Uh, I actually don't, know, I don't remember where this exactly was. It says, on Friday, April 15th, I'm excited to have a dynamic speaker on campus by the name of Adrian Young. Miss Young is a 20-plus year educator and current middle school counselor. She has spoken about uni schools for the past 15 years. She'll be doing a virtual presentation for our students this morning. We'd like to invite you to a special lunch with Miss Young. Pizza and dessert will be served. If this is not your normal lunchtime, that's okay. Your, your teachers will excuse the time for you. She has spoken on our campuses. Students have loved it. Please plan to join. It's like, okay, well, what are they going to be talking about? That, that's kind of vague. What are they going to be talking about? And here you go. Dynamic speaker. She's going to be doing the sixth grade young lunch just for African-American students. Seventh grade lunch will be Hispanic students. Eighth grade lunch will be two or more background students. So they're even they're even claiming if you have you have like five different heritages. Oh no, we have a special lunch for that. This is this is sick. I remember when I when I graduated college, I started seeing this starting to come out. Started seeing them starting to segregate students. We had our graduation ceremony, our commencement ceremony. And even then, back in, oh my goodness, 2012, 10 years ago, they had special commencement ceremonies just for African-American students, even at a Catholic university, which is probably why they were an early adopter of this. African-American students were segregated, not by force, but were encouraged to ditch everyone else and have a commencement ceremony of their own. So we had ceremonies based on what major you were, based on whether you were an honor student, what school, arts and sciences, business, you'd have your own. But then they also had one for African-American students, for Hispanic students. I mean, <laughs> 50 years ago, this was considered discrimination. This was ruled unconstitutional. Separate but equal was ruled unconstitutional. And you can see, full circle, they're coming back to it. They're coming back to separate but equal. It really is sick. It really, really is sick. I'm going to try and play more clips. Hopefully the audio works. If the audio doesn't work, let me know and I can recap it. It's, it's showing working on my end. I'll, I'll double check that here. 
So we know what's going on in the schools. We know the schools are are taking a step to indoctrinate our children. They're not doing much different than what Biden's trying to do through this DHS program. It's all part of the same desire for the left to control the narrative, to control what people learn, what people read, what people talk about. They do it in schools because they know if they can get to the kids early, the kids will just treat it as second nature. If they can get kindergartners to, to understand gender pronouns and different pronouns, then it won't, then they'll just do it, right? Kids are, are very obedient, not all kids, but kids are, are very malleable. You can, you can shape their worldview very easily at a young age. And it's lasting. You teach a kid that it's wrong to, to laugh at someone or, or, or misgender someone. They will keep that throughout the rest of their life. So that's why they're trying to get to the kids. This DHS program is designed to get to all the rest of us. The ones who can't be molded at a young age to fit their twisted worldview. It's coming after us, right? So I want to play this. This was a, a, pre a press conference with Jen Psaki where she was asked about COVID misinformation because this has been something that the Biden administration has been going crazy over. COVID misinformation. Oh, you can't, you can't say that COVID's over. You can't say that COVID's over. Well, th now they're actually saying that COVID is, they're admitting that COVID is over. COVID has been over for a while if you look at the data. Um, there's an argument to be made that probably it never reached pandemic levels. I mean, though, it, it's relatively easy for a disease to be classified as a pandemic, but the numbers, they were always cooking the books. They're always twisting the numbers to make it look worse than it actually was. But by all definitions, even the, the twisted and cooked uh, numbers, it is no longer pandemic stage. So there's no longer any reason to be forcing masks or vaccine mandates on anyone. But they're still going after the misinformation, right? Because it's not enough for the pandemic to be over. It's enough to be able to celebrate, hey, we made it through. We made it through. No, they need to be right. You know, it, it's, it's like that friend of yours who, no matter what, always has to have the final word and always has to win a debate and can never just agree to disagree and walk away. They always just have to get the last word in. That's Democrats today. That's Democrats today with. COVID misinformation. So in light of all of this, the DHS misinformation, which DHS has said in the past, this program will target COVID misinformation. Here's the question being posed to Jen Psaki just the other day. Let's go ahead and play cut eight. The Surgeon General has said that misinformation about COVID amounts to a public health crisis. Yeah. I'm wondering, regardless of ownership, would the White House be interested in working with Twitter like it has in the past to continue to combat this kind of misinformation? Um, or are we in a different part of the pandemic where that kind of partnership is no longer necessary? Well, I think we engage regularly with all social media platforms about steps that can be taken. That has continued, and I'm sure it will continue. Uh, but there are also reforms that we think Congress could take, um, and we would support taking, uh, including reforming Section 230, enacting antitrust reforms, requiring more transparency, and the president is encouraged by the bipartisan uh, support for or now they want to now they want to reform Section 230. Oh my goodness, Section 230. I'm sure many of you know what this is. Section 230, that is part of the Communication Decency Act. Section 230 basically states 
tech companies, websites, social media platforms will not be held criminally or civilly responsible for the conduct of what users post as long as they are not actively um, editorializing it. So here's an example. Craigslist. Craigslist allows you to post classifieds. Selling a couch. I'm selling a basketball hoop, right? There are people who went on Craigslist who were prostitutes selling themselves. Craigslist did not know about this or they turned a blind eye to it. Fine, right? As long as Craigslist isn't going through and approving each and every post and, and editorializing it the way um, an op-ed would be editorialized in a newspaper, as long as they aren't doing that, they're classified as a platform, not a publisher. And platforms cannot be held liable for criminal activity committed by people using the platform. So in that case, someone uh, posting ads for their own prostitution, right? They would be the ones guilty of prostitution, not the platform. That goes away when a platform starts acting like a publisher, which would be a newspaper. So when you submit an op-ed to your local newspaper, if they even still exist anymore, you submit an op-ed to your newspaper, the editor reads it, edits it a little bit, maybe edits it for brevity, right? And then, and then says, yes, we want this to go in the newspaper. They post it. Well, if you defame someone, if you defame someone in that op-ed, as we've seen with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, which I find incredibly fascinating, and one of these days I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it. I know it's everywhere, but it's an, it's an important topic because it, it blows up the whole idea of Me Too that when should just be believed. If a platform engages as a publisher and starts actively vetting what they're publishing, well, then if they get it wrong, then they become legally responsible. So the push has always been to, to reform Section 230 so that these platforms either have to be real platforms or they have to be regulated as publishers because Facebook is acting like a publisher. They're editorializing. They are censoring people. They are fact-checking people. They are taking things down that they disagree with, not because it's illegal, because it violates vague terms of service that says don't be mean. Right? That is a level of editorializing that goes beyond the protections within Section 230. So I, I find it hilarious that Democrats now want to reform social media just because a publicly traded company will now be privately held. Right? They didn't care about Section 230 when Twitter was able to do whatever the hell it wanted. Now that Elon Musk will soon have the keys to the kingdom and be able to use Twitter however he wants, now they want to reform Section 230. Of course. Of course. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's too funny. It, it's just, it's exactly what you expected would happen. That they would use this as an opportunity to finally go after big tech. I bet you, though, they'll, they won't go after publicly traded tech companies. They'll go after closely held, privately owned tech companies like Truth Social, like Rumble. <laughs> I, that, that's how I think they'll probably craft that law. So you, you look at that. So COVID misinformation, COVID misinformation. Should government have the power to, to work with Twitter to silence misinformation? Well, government's been doing that. That's been going on for over two years. We, we know from Anthony Fauci's own emails, things were getting discussed in social media. Anthony Fauci emails one of his underlings, says, hey, handle this. This is bad. All of a sudden, that underling starts talking with other people. And within an hour, social media is cracking down on it. Tech companies are cracking down on it for misinformation. And we see from Anthony Fauci, that Anthony Fauci truly believes that the CDC should have supreme authority on this kind of matter. 
thank goodness. I mean, I was so happy when that federal judge in Florida o uh, overturned the mask mandate because I was flying with my son the next day. And I'll see if I can pull up. I'll see if I can pull up that uh that picture I posted on Telegram of me and my son taking a picture in front of the you must wear a mask mask sign with our masks off. It was great being able to fly and not worry about my son who's four years old taking off his mask and us being arrested or something. It, it was fantastic, right? Anthony Fauci was less enthused about the announcement that people would no longer be forced to wear a mask on public transportation. And Anthony Fauci actually said that he believed the CDC should outrank the courts. That when CDC declares everyone should wear a mask, courts should not be allowed to come in and decide whether that's constitutional or not. It's a, it's a crazy comment, something we knew he felt, but for whatever reason he felt comfortable enough saying it. Let's go ahead and play this cut nine. Both surprised and disappointed because those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. And for a court to come in, and if you look at the, the rationale for that, it really is not particularly firm. And we are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not, should not have been a court issue. Uh, no. Okay, so backtracking. I didn't get a chance to cover this. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't get a chance to cover this, but... The courts weighed in because the way this rule was promulgated violated the Administrative Procedures Act, violated different requirements along the way. We've talked about this at length. When the government wants to pass a regulation, there has to be a public comment period. They have to have a public comment period, and they have to let the public voice their opinions. They're supposed to read all those opinions, all those comments, and if valid comments come up, they're supposed to recraft the law. The regulation, usually they talk to in industry leaders. Um, this a lot with gun control regulations. You'll see a huge pushback from, from gun stores, from gun manufacturers. Usually that's enough to stop the ATF. Often it isn't. But you have to give a 60 to 90 day comment period. Then you have to come out with a final rule. And that has to go into effect a month, two months, three months down the line. You can't just snap your fingers and say everyone has to wear a mask. When you violate that procedure, you, you don't give people the right to fight for themselves. You never got the ability to comment on whether or not the CDC should have a, be, be able to force any interstate commercial passenger from being forced to wear a mask. So the court said, no, that's unconstitutional. You violated the Administrative Procedures Act. You didn't do X, Y, and Z. You exceeded your authority. Unconstitutional. Just because something has to do with public health doesn't mean that the Constitution takes a backseat. We've seen so many egregious constitutional violations in the last two years. So many of them. So many. I mean, it, it, it's crazy to think that they got away with some of this stuff. And again, plugging it, I do list a bunch of these in my new book, Conservative's Guide to Winning Every Gun Control Argument, available on Amazon now. Fauci believes that the CDC should just outrank the courts, that the CDC should be able to say, nope, everyone has to wear a mask and, the, and no judge is allowed to decide whether that's constitutional or not. Makes you wonder whether they think that the CDC should also outrank Congress, whether the CDC should also outrank state legislatures. It'd be interesting to see, and I think I know what Fauci believes, where he thinks the CDC would fall in a separation of powers hierarchy. I don't think he sees the CDC as part of a co-equal branch of government. No, he sees the CDC 
as just definitive. That CDC, when CDC makes the declaration, no one can stop it. Unelected bureaucrats. The majority of Americans did not even indirectly elect Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci has been in that position since what? Ronald Reagan years? So majority of Americans did not even vote in that election, which is crazy. Crazy. But no, he thinks he knows what's best. Take a bit of that, though, and play this, because I, 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 I never thought I'd hear this. Fauci admitting that the pandemic stage, as I said earlier, is over. Let's go ahead and play this cut 10. Dr. Fauci, let me broaden this out and ask you, here we are, it's the end of April, it's the spring of 2022. How close are we to the end of this pandemic? Well, that's an unanswerable question for the following reason. And, and I don't want to be evasive about it, but let me tell you why I'm giving you that answer, Judy. We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. Namely, we don't have 900,000 new infections a day and tens and tens and tens of thousands of hospitalizations and thousands of deaths. We are at a low level right now. So if you're saying, are we out of the pandemic phase in this country? We are. What we hope to do, I don't believe, and I've, and I've spoken about this widely, we're not going to eradicate this virus. If we can keep that level very low, and intermittently vaccinate people. And I don't know how often that would have to be, Judy. That might be every year. Oh, that of course. might be longer. <laughs> there it is. In order the next shoe drops. Level low. But right now, we are not in the pandemic phase in this country. Pandemic means a widespread throughout the world infection that spreads rapidly among people. So if you look at the global situation, there's no doubt this pandemic is still ongoing. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Oh, my God. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I guess great. He admitted it, but he also says we're still going to need to force vaccinations on people. So I wonder how that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> but you notice he's saying what he was just saying is not all that different to what Donald Trump was saying two years ago, which is that we're never going to fully get rid of this, but it's going to reach a point where eventually it's no longer a problem. It's going to go away. It'll still be around, it'll still be here and there, but and as a pandemic, it will just go away. And everyone said, no, this is going to be forever. This is our new normal. Masks, social distancing, new normal. And they, they censored, they fact-checked the president of the United States on that. Well, here, Fauci is saying something that's not all that different. That it'll always be here with us. It's going to be like a common cold, like a flu. But the pandemic is just, it just disappears. Done. Because the majority of the population has antibodies. Either naturally occurring from vaccinations or a combination of the two. It's herd immunity. And that's something they've refused to talk about for the last two years. Fauci would never really give a hard number for what herd immunity would look like. He always wanted to just let the CDC regulate us a little bit more. A little bit more. Just want to stretch a little bit more. But here's the interesting part. Fauci declared that the pandemic stage is over. Apparently, he didn't tell the White House. Because the White House had a very different opinion on this. Let's go ahead and play cut 11. As far as we know, the president is still planning to attend. Um, how, how should people understand Dr. Fauci's decision versus the president's decision? And is there any concern that the president would be seen as not following the science in some way? 
Well, first I would note and respect everyone's privacy, including Dr. Fauci's, as much as he's very much a public figure. But as you all know, he can speak for himself and his decisions. And um, every individual will make their own decisions about whether they attend this event, other events, whether they wear a mask at it or not. Obviously, the White House Correspondents Association is requiring same-day testing. That's a, that's a decision they have made. Um, the President outlined, as you all know, a 100-page plan in March intended to uh, position us to go back to uh, our more normal routines. But in that, that requires making risk assessments and decisions about what you're going to do and what you're going to attend and be a part of, as, as we all do every day. Today, the president uh, felt it was very important to this be is what at, Trump said two years at ago. the uh, memorial service for a diplomatic icon, Secretary Madeleine <sighs> Albright. Um, he made the decision to do that despite the fact that there were hundreds, if not thousands, of people there. He has made the decision he wants to attend in a safe way uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner to show his support, showcase his support for the free press, for the work of all of you, for the work of your colleagues around I'm the world. You notice how in this situation, when Fauci says, we've left the pandemic stage, then Saki says, oh, no, he's speaking for himself. And he's allowed to speak for himself. Well, no, he was just giving an interview with a CDC backdrop behind him. That was him in his, pers in his official capacity. That wasn't him writing his diary entry at the end of the day. He was, that was an interview in his official capacity. Obviously, he hadn't shared that opinion with the White House because the White House is still going on with wearing masks and vaccine requirements. But you know, it's up to everyone to manage the risk. That's what I've been saying. That's what Trump was saying for two years. Treat it. Everyone has to manage their own risk level. For some people, yeah, it's going to be dangerous. We know that this virus, it affects the elderly and it affects the immunocompromised much more seriously than the average person. We've known that from the very beginning. So if you fall into one of those baskets, take care. Be careful. Make a decision on whether it's worth it to do X, Y, and Z. Take precautions. Let everyone else get on with their lives. Now they finally adopted that, that position. Funny. I wonder how much polling and focus group testing they had to do to arrive at that conclusion. The conclusion that we all just naturally understood the last two years. We're almost done with the episode today. There's one more clip I wanted to play from Biden, which is just, I played this a couple times. Each time I play it, I hear another take on it. I want to get your position on this. Biden starts by trying to explain why he got into politics. And then he starts saying that the biggest crime any politician can commit is the abuse of power seemingly tying both of those thoughts together. I want to get your take on this. Let's go ahead and play this. It's cut 12. We were talking about on the way over what got me involved in politics. I got in politics, involved in politics because I think the greatest sin that anyone can commit is the abuse of power. Whatever that power is, the power of a teacher, the power of a, a doctor, the power of a leader. When someone who is relying on you or you cannot just the abuse of power. And I got involved because my state was the only state in the Union when Dr. King was murdered that was occupied by the National Guard for 10 months with drawn bayonets in every corner because we had a very conservative governor who ordered the National Guard and because my state is the eighth largest black population in America as a percent of population. My goodness. 
obviously he's talking about that, but the thought process of I got involved. Let me tell you the story of why I got involved in politics. And he says, oh, well, (laughs) there's no bigger crime than abuse of power. Knowing what we know now about Joe Biden. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's coming out now that Joe Biden actually met with. I mean, we've known it for a while with certain ones meeting with Hunter Biden's business associates that they came to the White House, that they came to the vice president's office in the, uh, I guess, either in the White House or in the vice presidential um, uh, house in, in Bethesda, the Naval Observatory. It's now coming out that all of Hunter Biden's business people were just in the White House. They were having meetings in the White House, many of them with Joe Biden. But the White House is still claiming now that Joe Biden never discussed business with his son. So we're being led to believe that Joe Biden, then vice president, is in the room with Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden's business associate. And at no point is he ever made privy to that business relationship. On the one hand, it seems entirely possible that Joe Biden could be ushered into a room that he has no idea why he's there, talk to someone and truly have no idea why he's talking to them, though that would be easier to do today than it would have been um, a few years ago during the Obama, Obama years because Biden hadn't quite lost his mind then. Yeah, and, and Indie Girl Mom says uh, about the $5.2 million in his taxes that cannot be traced back to legitimate sources of income. That's a huge problem. Right. So here you have Joe Biden saying that the biggest crime ever is the abuse of power when his family has quite literally abused his power. He has abused his power. I found that pretty comical. I mean, it'd be comical if we weren't talking about the worst political crime ever. I mean, everyone says Watergate, Watergate, Watergate. This doesn't like Watergate doesn't have a candle to what we're talking about here with the Biden crime family. I want to play that because I found that a little bit interesting. Before we go, I want to talk about a couple things. Um, if you care about pro-life issues, please, there's a link in the description. Go to this website. It's abortiontofar.com and sign this petition. There is a bill in California, AB2223. This would change the law in California to protect, to give a liability, a criminal and civil liability shield to healthcare workers and mothers involved in the death of a post-birth child. It's called perinatal. It's the period up to 20 days after the baby is born. This is quite literally legalizing or at least decriminalizing or giving them, giving everyone a shield, protect them from being prosecuted for post-birth abortions. It is a sick, sick, sick bill. It is moving through the California legislature. We need your help to stop this. This is an organization I'm working with. So go to abortiontofar.com. Links in the description. Sign the petition and help us fight back against this absolute insanity, absolute madness. Other thing, as I mentioned, my book is now available on Amazon. It will be coming to Barnes & Noble this week. So if you are truly against Amazon, I understand. Um, it is available in paperback and it is available in Kindle version as well. That link is in the description. It took me four years to write on and off, not every day. Um, when I left Conservative Daily, I said, okay, got to finish it. So I finished it. It's available for sale. 446 pages goes through all of the arguments that you need to all the all the research, all of the court cases, all of the regulations, everything you need to win every gun control argument out there. So um, this is I basically poured all my knowledge about the Second Amendment into this. So if you want to argue on behalf of the Second Amendment like I do, pick up this book available on Amazon today in paperback and Kindle form. Um, someone asking, can I post that link on uh, 
Telegram, the abortion too far? Absolutely. I'll post that on Telegram when I leave, when, when we get done with this episode today. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the Max McGuire Show. If you like the Max McGuire Show, you got to share it. Help people find me. Um, I need your help. Right? I don't have a huge marketing budget. But I need your help to help people reach me. The easiest way to do that is by hitting the Rumble button. If you're watching on Rumble, hit that Rumble button. Hit that plus sign. Share it. Subscribe. Share on other social media pages. Um, also, to follow the audio version of the podcast, as I mentioned earlier, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, Audible, all great places. Those links are in the description. And if you have an iPhone, a MacBook, an iPad, please take the time to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I cannot stress enough how important this is. We were about in the, close to the top 100 political podcasts in the country um, earlier this uh, last month. Took a break to go on vacation, do a little family time. Need your help climbing back up in those rankings. Also, one more thing I want to say. Pretty cool. My book on Amazon is number 53 for political freedom, number 161 for conservative or liberal books, and it's in, it's in the top uh, 33,000 of all books. That's kind of cool. Wanted to just share that. A little bit back and forth. But yes, um, please do leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Help me climb up in those rankings. We'll be going live 1 p.m. Eastern. I might switch to 1.30. And conservative daily started running long. They start, they start late. They run long. Um, it's kind of par for the course. But I know a lot of you guys watch their show too. Um, so I might go to one thirty just to try and, and not compete with them. I don't know. Let me know what you think in the comment section, whether you think that's worth it or not. Um, but if, if, you, if you can't watch live, you can always watch the videos on Rumble um, or listen to the audio version after the fact. That's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Remember, everyone, that the fight to take back country is not over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stamp and fight together. See you tomorrow.